Hello, dear listener. I hope you're having a good day, because boy howdy have I got a new friend for us to meet. To see him is to be overwhelmed from uncanny familiarity. Where do I know him from? And in your head you hear, Ned? Come on, Ned Ryerson. Needle nose Ned, Ned the head? And bing, it hits you. That's right, he's that guy from Groundhog Day. But to reduce the prolific character actor, Mr. Stephen Topolowski, to that guy Ned from Groundhog Day, or any of his other near 300 roles in IMDb, is like pointing to a loaf of bread and calling it a teaspoon of baking powder, for it is but one tiny ingredient in the makeup of Mr. Stephen Topolowski. Welcome, sir. Hey, it's good to be here, Ken. Very good to be here. So back, I think it was it was during this pandemic dystopia. You you had done an interview with CBC Radio. Mm-hmm. You were talking about uh, that movie Groundhog Day, which you were unusually contemplative, uh, philosophical, and mindful. And I just wonder, were were you always this contemplative? Wow. I, I, you know, it, it's back, I look at me in 1993, I was a young father, right? So it was a very exciting time of my life. And then I got this job with Harold Ramis. So I was filled with excitement. I'm going to be working with Bill Murray. I, uh, I was not, I, I don't feel I was incredibly contemplative going into that show, but you, you can't, you can't change who you are and what you are. And for my whole life, I spend a lot of time, mainly because I was sick from the ages of 13 to 15. I was very sick. In fact, that's kind of how I became an actor, right? I, I, wanted, I grew up in Texas, and I wanted to be like a football player, baseball player, mm-hmm. something like that. But I got sick. Okay. I got very sick. I couldn't eat anything. I lost a lot of weight. My mother and father were terrified I had cancer. I was going to doctors all the time. I wasn't allowed to go out and play anymore. I ended up in uh, study hall classes. Do you have study hall in Canada? Uh, yeah, kind of, in a sense, yeah. It's, it's not good. <laughs> study hall is where you go into a big room with a woman who's not really a teacher, and you do nothing. You're supposed to do your homework. Right. Well, because I was sick, I ended up with four study halls a day. So I had my homework done by the first study hall. Then I had three more. And so I began reading plays. Mm-hmm. I remember I read King Lear when I was about 14. And I remember there was a line of Albany and there is, who is it that can say this is the worst? Mm-hmm. Now that's contemplative, huh? As a young kid, I'm going like, that's me. Who is it that can say this is the worst? That gives me encouragement uh, that... My life isn't always going to be this way. And I like these plays. I like this Shakespeare. I like drama. And it turned out I got cast in a play because someone else dropped out. And so I kind of fell into acting, not through choice, but kind of through attrition. It was the only thing I had left. And yeah, we fly ahead to Groundhog Day. Mm. When you're a young father, you have no life. Your job is to make sure your wife is able to sleep in the morning. Yeah. That's it. So I was up early walking the baby, doing everything. So the idea of going to Woodstock, Illinois to do Groundhog Day, that was an amazing, amazing journey. And and the entire show turned out to be 
very amazing. And in retrospect, when you're an actor in a show, you have no idea if it's going to be good. And we certainly didn't know Groundhog Day was going to be the great movie it turned out to be. So we were just having a really good time shooting that movie. And Harold Ramis and Danny Rubin, our, our screenwriter, mm-hmm. they just happened to make it perfect. It just happens to be yeah, a perfect it, movie. It is, it is one of, like, there's like a handful of movies that I can turn on for my kids. And they're, they're never bored through it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of, like, I, I've listened to a lot of uh, your interviews uh, preparing for this. And, and, mm-hmm. and I was kind of reticent. Should I talk about Groundhog Day? Like, are, <laughs> are is dear listener going to be mad at me for not talking about Groundhog Day? And Star Trek was was my was my Davy Crockett. You you grew up with Davy Crockett, and oh gosh, you you were Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, you were you were a later generation. Yeah, yeah. I'm a Gen X, but I, I I'm an old soul, so I really like the the original Star Trek. And and Leonard Nimoy, I get his frustration. He came out with a book called I Am Not Spock. Has there ever been a moment, uh, I am not Ned moment in your life? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure there were a couple. The thing is, I, I understand with Leonard Nimoy, because Spock was such an international sensation. And here's a guy who trained his whole life to be a classical actor. Here he is, he's playing some alien right. with, with his little fingers split in the middle, you know, go go forth and multiply or whatever he used to say on that show. <laughs> That's but, a good try. Yeah. You know, he wanted, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He wanted to play more parts than this. He didn't know that this weird part of being this space alien was going to be the international sensation it was. And as a professional actor, you don't get to choose that. Right. The, the, the brass ring here is if you are Spock and not only are you going to get your money for the series because you are irreplaceable. You're going to get uh, merchandising when they do little Ken dolls that look like Spock. Then after you do your Spock, then you could do other things. And Leonard ended up directing. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it's hard. You know, once you do Ned Ryerson, you, you tend to get typecast for a while in playing those zany kind of parts. And you have to be lucky. Yeah. And I was lucky that Chris Nolan uh, asked me to be in Memento, which was a completely different kind of movie than Groundhog Day. Right. And that movie was hugely successful. You know, I always say that there's a triumvirate in acting. You have to be good in a good movie that people see. Mm-hmm. If any one of those three things is wrong, your life is in the toilet. And, and so for Groundhog Day... It was an example that I was good in a good movie that everybody saw. You know, a lot of times you're 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 good in a bad movie. Right. You know, you're you're in a movie that is no good at all, and and you have no control over that. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, storytelling. You've got your mm-hmm. your podcast, but also you've done that play, A Good Day in Auschwitz, which I, I gotta say. It, it almost sounds like a swear word, it, that title. It sounds like sacrilege, yeah. but uh, having heard the play, I, I get it. Uh, yeah, it, it is. The story, 
It all came from catastrophe. We spend our whole lives trying to avoid catastrophe, Mm -hmm. understandably. But catastrophe is what opens the door. Uh, You take a look at me when I was 13 and I was sick. It was the worst time of my life. It opened the door. I started telling my stories and writing my stories in 2008 when I broke my neck riding a horse on the side of an active volcano in Iceland. Right. I came back to America and the doctor said I had a fatal injury, which I obviously didn't. And so you can't, I couldn't act. I couldn't do anything while I had my broken neck. So I thought, well, if the doctor said... I had a fatal injury. What are the things I'd want my two boys to know about my life? So I began writing stories of my life, like from when I was sick, like Groundhog Day, showbiz stories, non-show, when I fell in love with Claire Richards when I was eight years old because she played the piano more beautifully than anything I could ever imagine. (laughs) And so I told these stories of my life. I wrote them down for nobody. Yeah just for my kids, who, by the way, they have never read them. Then I, uh, David Chen heard about my movie, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky's Birthday Party, where I do, I did these kind of stories. That was in 2005. And David said, well, you're good at storytelling. Do you have any new stories? And I said, well, I've been writing these. He said, well, why don't we record them? I'll put them on the internet. And those stories became the Tobolowsky Files. From those stories, I got a book deal with Simon & Schuster, got Mm -hmm. two books. So, you know, you have to take a look at every catastrophe that happens in your life and see if there's some sort of light in the darkness that'll take you to a new part of you that you never even knew existed. Yeah, you you talk about... Well, well, just, just, I'm sorry, just interject. Yeah. Again, you mentioned Auschwitz, Mm -hmm. a good day at Auschwitz. There is a perfect example. I was in synagogue because my mother had died and I wanted to do the 11 months of mourning. And that's where I met Abe, who was a prisoner at Auschwitz. I became friends with Abe. We became poker buddies and drinking buddies. And he started telling me about his life, his loves, and as a kid, being packed up with his family and sent to Auschwitz, mm. he was tattooed, put in the work lines. And over the period of a few months, he starts telling me these incredible stories. And he fell in love at Auschwitz. Yeah, He fell in love. And I asked him, I said, Abe, could you have a good day at Auschwitz? And he, Abe said to me, oh, Stephen, I had many good days. Mm-hmm. He says, because there was always sunshine on my back or something beautiful you could smell. And then there was Hunka, my, my girlfriend. And I'm like, girlfriend <laughs> at Auschwitz? You got to be kidding. And I'm looking at this guy who was in his mid-80s at the time, that was so full of life. And he survived the worst catastrophe of ever. And that's what the story of Good Day at Auschwitz is about. It's about Abe and how he was able to find love and a good day, even in the worst goddamn place on earth. Yeah. Like the fact that he could could smile after going through that. Yes. and what, what you said is true, like the name A Good Day at Auschwitz almost sounds like a curse. When I first released A Good Day at Auschwitz on uh, my podcast, I got letters from Germany. They said we were so appalled when we heard the title of your story yeah. that we all started to listen. 
<laughs> and we couldn't turn it off. And we ended up on our kitchen floor crying. And they said, thank you, Stephen, for the beautiful story. Yeah. He, he died after a listening party to, to the... Yeah. What, was it the, the podcast episode that he was listening yes. to? So I had just I had just finished writing the story and recording it. And so I took a CD, I took it over to Abe, and he loved it so much he had a listening party that night of all of our friends from synagogue. And then Abe went to bed, and I get the call the next morning from uh, Sharon, a woman at our synagogue. She was in tears just saying, Stephen, Abe died in his sleep. Yeah. And so it was after that first listening party that a happy as a clam man, he was the happiest man in the world, and he he passed away that night. And what a what a blessing that is to him. Uh, God bless you for the blessing you were for for Abe. Yeah, it just shows podcasting. It, it really kind of is a magical. Yes, I think. One thing the pandemic has taught us is that we are all mean so much more to each other than we ever thought we did. Yeah. Listening to podcasts and taking part in them, we've had so few opportunities to really socialize. Like this discussion we're having, this could be something you and I could have. Where, where are you at now? I'm in Kitchener, Ontario. Kitchener, Ontario. Okay, never been to Kitchener, but I bet you have a nice pub there. Yeah. And we, you and I could be sitting in that pub having some of that fine Canadian beer, <laughs> and we could be having this conversation, and that is what I think the podcasts do. Mr. Topolowski, sir, you've been a delight. and is Well, thank you very much. How can Dear Listener find you? Dear Listener can find me. Certainly could go to the podcast. Go to TobolowskiFiles.com. And of course, if you go to IMDB, Stephen Tobolowski could see what movies. Right now, I'm working on the Goldbergs. Yes. Fabulous show in the United States. I've been doing that for about eight years. My, I guess my two books I can mention uh, of stories, one is The Dangerous Animals Club, and the second is My Adventures with God, both with Simon and Schuster, all true stories mm-hmm. of uh, my life, and they're all extreme, very extreme, uh, from being held hostage at gunpoint in a grocery store to being with my mother the last 24 hours of her life Mm. and the amazing miracle that happened at the end of that 24 hours, which is startling. Uh, Just the Dangerous Animals Club and my adventures with God. Thanks for joining us, dear listener, and thank you, Stephen Topolowski.